Welcome to season eight of a Vietnam podcast, sharing the stories of people connected to Vietnam. My name is Neil Mackay, and I've been living in Vietnam since 2016 and hosting this podcast since 2019. I wanted to know more about the people that lived in Vietnam, both locals and foreigners, and share their story. My guest today is French Vietnamese, a host of Creators in Vietnam podcast and coach consultant for young professionals. We'll share today why they left France to come to Vietnam via Canada. What is a coach consultant exactly? More about the Creators in Vietnam podcast and talk more about his journey battling a drug addiction. My guest today is Tuasi Nguyen. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for, thanks for having me, uh, Neil. Thank you. <laughs> Great intro. <laughs> this is so fun. <laughs> well, yeah. thank you very much. I mean, well, it's great to have you on. So I recently featured on your podcast, Creators yeah. in Vietnam, which was similar to mine. We started as a Saigon podcast. You guys started as Creators in Saigon and then branched exactly. out as well, Creators in Vietnam, which made total sense. So tell us a little bit about uh, Creators in Vietnam podcast, how it started, and maybe some of our listeners might already know a little bit, but tell us more about that. So the purpose of Creators in Vietnam right now is to interview people that are creating a positive impact in their community or their own lives. So that's the, we're, we're using the word creators as creating that positive impact. And so we, we're not looking at only content creators, but people that are you know, creating businesses with them, with meanings, with impact behind it, creating any type of like, you know, charity volunteers or anything like this. Right now we're on our unofficially third season of the, uh, the podcast. I think it changes with every hosts. So originally the podcast was actually created by Dana, Dana Droho. So shout out to Dana, to Dana as creators in Saigon. And then I joined in 2000. At the end of 2020, with uh, another host called Nicola. So shout out to Nicola too. And so the three of us, you know, did a whole season of that. And it, it was quite fun. At that time, I wanted to, I wanted to do a podcast because I really like my voice and I wanted to share, I wanted to, to create content. <laughs> and I, w I was a little bit too afraid of video because it, it, like, it really triggered me and I, I, I would stutter and I would get so self-conscious. So when Dana presented the occasion of like taking back creators in Saigon and and creating just voice content, I was like, yeah, cool. Like, you know, my voice puts my girlfriend to sleep so I can put people to sleep with this soothing voice. <laughs> <laughs> and then unfortunately, Dana had to go back to uh, the States and, and I couldn't let the, the podcast die. So I was like, how about I take it back? And then we, uh, we went and looked for another host and that's where Moni come, came in. And uh, that's when we started the third season of it. And that's, I think you were... After Con Connor, you were the, our second episode for that season, so it was it was quite enjoyable to to interview you. And there is not that many podcasts in in Saigon and in Vietnam to to start with in uh, in English, so it's good to to you know to form this type of community where like you know all of us know each other and we can help each other. So that's that's great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had someone ask me before, like, oh, is it like, are you guys competitive? And I was like, no, not at all. Like, the more people that listen to podcasts, the better. Like. I don't, I'm not yeah. trying to like take away this. It's not that big a medium in the first place. It's not like you're trying to take away listeners from each other. You're all trying to, to build yourself up. Yeah. And I remember when we started back in 2019, me and Dana were starting at almost the exact same time. And the, I think at that time, there was really mm. only the, the Saigoneer podcast, which is still going. Not much more. But then at the time, there was a whole, like, you know, a, a burst of all these podcasts started around 2019. 
Some of them have faded mm-hmm. away, but it's so exciting to see the medium in, as you mentioned, kind of the English language is quite small, but if you look at the podcast mm-hmm. charts, the amount of podcasts in Vietnamese is, is huge. Yeah. 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 Uh, we, we, we've interviewed the DRO community, Kelly, she's, she's doing an amazing job. I mean, I'm loving this. And, and again, like, yeah, we're definitely not competing. And, and if anything, you're, you're the beacon for me where I'm like, oh, wow. Like, you know, Neil is, is creating all of this. He has Patreon and he's, <laughs> he's like, he has merch. And, and I was like, yes, Neil, show me the way. <laughs> I'll just follow behind. <laughs> I mean, and it's just, so it, I mean, I'm just doing cool. the same as well with other people. You just see what other people are doing and, you, and it's the same yeah. thing, right? But it, but it's it is really cool. Great. I mean, and you do see things like that. You see people like, oh yeah, they've done that. So I'm like, that's cool. That's the same <laughs> as me. That's cool. But we're all, yeah, we're all trying yeah. to help each other now to go back a step though this is you're the only person i've ever heard say they like the sound of their own voice <laughs> i i've i've learned to i've learned to like my the sound of my voice i, I at the beginning I, no very honestly i i say that as a joke because it's like it's like a pick me up <laughs> a little bit but the first episode when i recorded it i couldn't listen to my voice i was like oh what is this this horrible like a lot of people say I have a Filipino accent because like with with me like I was I grew up in France and and I lost the French accent some oh it's still there but it's this dirty kind of Filipino accent now and it's like and then with my face people are like yeah you're definitely Filipino <laughs> and well, so, now you've, and I, I hadn't didn't, thought that yeah but yeah. now you've said one, it one I'm like I can it, hear it yeah and I'm like oh yeah <laughs> well and I met with a you know I think a mutual friend of ours you know Annie right who's friends with Moni who's also and he's also yeah, from yeah, yeah. Hungary Hungarian Vietnamese and I met with her just mm-hmm. this week and I said to her I was like I'd never you sound Filipino now <laughs> which before the first time I yeah. spoke to her I said to her right away I was like you have an accent where are you from and she's like Hungary and I was like oh my goodness same as Moni and she's like yeah I know Moni and mm-hmm. blah 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 but yeah then when I spoke to yeah. him but it's so funny I remember we were in a a restaurant with my Vietnamese friend and she started speaking to the server in Vietnamese and then he was like, oh, I- I'm Filipino. I don't speak Vietnamese. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's so, that's so random. It's definitely so easy funny, to yeah. do. So, yeah, I do. You're French yeah. Vietnamese. Now, we've talked about this before. Do you consider yourself VQ? Do you use that phrase? What's your interpretation of the phrase or not the phrase, the, the, the label VQ? Uh, so I, 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 I used to come to Vietnam quite often and, and I was labeled VQ and I've, for me, the, the label in, in itself does not bother me. I, I do understand the, the, the baggage that it carries too. Cause like, you know, like 15 years ago, 20 years ago, the VQ that would come to Vietnam, I'm generalizing here, didn't have the best of reputation or like, mm-hmm. or they didn't have the best of experience too. They were, you know, like there was a lot of stories. So I understand, like you know, the, the 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 legacy that it carries. Some people say now that, like you know, you are Vietnamese overseas, born overseas, or something like this. I just say Vicky and the Vicky Fab, so it makes it faster. And it's it also depends on who I'm talking to because I don't want to go too deep into to my own story because I, I even me I'm very confused. I don't like I do not consider myself French 100% anymore, and I I do not have a citizenship in uh, a Canadian citizenship or anything like this. Even though I lived there for 15 years, so most of my, like, you know, adult life. So it's, it's, it's kind of weird. So I just say I'm Vicky Fap and, and, you know, like the way I deal with this is I'm French when it fits me the best. I'm Vietnamese when it serves me the best. And I'm definitely Canadian when it serves me the best. And I just, I, I use it on my own advantage at that point. Yeah. 
It, I yeah, mean, yeah. I find it so fascinating. We, and we've obviously talked to many different people over the seasons from very similar backgrounds to, your, to yourself, but from different countries all over the world. And to me, for someone who's from a very homogenous society, I'm Scottish as far back as probably the Vikings. I grew up, you know, <laughs> knowing that I'm 100% Scottish and I, I'm nothing else. I think mm-hmm. it, it's, I can see the like, the challenges of it and i can also see how like it must be like really cool as well to sound like i mean that sounds like really like a lame way to put it like it's cool i don't mean to be like oh you're so cool you're from different races or nationalities or whatever but yeah i mean so to you how is that being like you've, you've got your foot in three different camps and we've actually interviewed Anne sophie yeah. hoffman who's french lived in and moved to quebec and is now french canadian she's not vietnamese but she's She's like, I'm French and Canadian and French Canadian. And it's like this hybrid of different mentalities and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 my identity crisis was pretty huge in in the beginning of my twenties. I didn't know where to put myself. And because growing up in France, people, you know, unfortunately France is not the most welcoming place for immigrants, (laughs) you know, very much. Is that true? Is it really, I don't really know that. Is that, is that really true then? the, The, my my generation so i'm 37 so like you know basically and then i the, again generalizing but let's say that i grew up so my teenagehood in paris was i couldn't avoid any type of arguments without someone reminding me that i was asian and that i had a small penis <laughs> so that was my my upbringing that was like the end of every argument is like you're in mm. it wasn't even being asian it was being chinese oh you're chinese you have a small dick anyway ching chong ching <laughs> oh so that was goodness. like that 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 type of weird Stockholm syndrome where you live through it and like you know it's it's your normality and as soon as I left to Canada people were like oh you 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 do sound French and then you have that that, that French mentality and I was like eh? but who am I because I grew up in France people told me that I was Chinese and I was definitely different not from mm. France then I go to Canada and I'm trying to own up to that Asianness. In, in me and in, and and I went to ESL school to study English and I met true Japanese, Koreans, Chinese, and Vietnamese from the motherlands. <laughs> and everybody was like, yeah, you're definitely not Asian. Like, you don't, like, I had no, I had, I had a very, um, I don't know, like, my sense of personal space was very French. So I would come and hug people. I would come and, like, give them kisses to say hello. And in Asia, you don't do this. In Vietnam, you don't come and hug people and be like, hello, and then kiss yeah, them. So. yeah. It was like this. Weird I remember. I remember. Crisis, I hugged yeah. a girl one time, like a friend of a friend. I got introduced, and I was like, "Hey, how are you doing?" Give her a big hug, and I could feel her like freeze. Yeah, and like, and I had to ask my friend the next day. I was like, "I didn't mean to, like, you know, offend your friend. Yeah. Was she okay?" And I, and she's like, "No, no, she understood." But like, yeah, I was like, I could feel her reaction, you know. And it's so yeah. I understand what you mean. It's a very different yeah. culture here. But sorry to was, interrupt. Continue on what you're saying. It's a, yeah, I'm. The, the way, you know, it's, it's really easy to get into an identity crisis, especially if you're from uh, an immigrant background, because especially from an Asian descent, like, because none of the, none of the, the groups were accepting or understanding of, you know, the Asian, like Vietnamese or Chinese or Koreans don't understand immigration because there, there is no immigration in Asia whatsoever. Mm. And so the word Vikio at that time was more connotated as a traitor of the motherland. You left. Wow. You know, like it was, it was that, that, that connotation, I think. And then, and so, if you let people define you, it becomes a problem, especially for your identity. Because so in my twenties, I was like, I'm nothing. I'm like, I'm not from no country. I'm not Canadian. I'm not French. Mm. I'm not. But I would pretend to be as French as I could be because people would see me like that. So suddenly, I knew everything about wine. I knew everything about bread. 
when I grew up in a very Asian environment where it was like more about mukbang <laughs> and rice. <laughs> but as soon as I hit Canada, I was like, it was like, oh, but you're the French guy. And I was like, yes, I am the French guy. So let me tell you which wine to drink, <laughs> which bread, and which cheese. And I would like not know anything about it. So I pretended a lot. And then I realized like, that the, the best way to deal with this is just to accept that it's, it's a positive just for me, you know, like I'm, I, I'm gifted with different cultures and nobody is going to be accepting it. And not, a lot of people are not going to accept it, but I don't know if we can swear on the podcast, but F them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so but funny. I can just imagine you with like a, I imagine you with like a glass of wine and smelling it and be like, <laughs> yeah, no, this, this is a beautiful red wine. And the, the, your friend's like, that's a white wine to us. Eh? <laughs> that's, that's vinegar that's balsamic vinegar to AC he's <laughs> <laughs> like we give you that for your bread yeah <laughs> so you were your yeah. parents um immigrants from vietnam directly or like yes. what's the background with that yeah 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 so my so i i come from so my parents were not typical they didn't come from the uh, the, the afterward generation so they were already on the move or international students, let's say, before the war happened. So my, my, my father, when he got to France, he was a Buddhist monk that did his, in his studies in, in India and New Zealand. And my mom, she passed when I was six years old, but she had a pretty, she had a pretty wild life, a pretty, pretty, pretty crazy life. Actually, and, and I just discovered this two weeks ago, so this is an exclusive for your podcast, but my grandmother <laughs> got her biography written here in Vietnam. And the book is, it was released in 2015 or something like that. It was wildly popular in Vietnam. You can buy it in the library. Wow. So in it, it tells all of her life, how she met my grandfather, which was the first pharmacist in Paris, the first Vietnamese pharmacist in Paris. So high family, but all kind of fucked up stories and how like, you know, my mom got abandoned by both of them. And like, she had like mental health problems and and the, and the book is wild. Like my girlfriend read it because I can't read Vietnamese and she was telling me part of it. And it just triggered so many of my, my you know, when I was six, seven years old and, and all this, this to toxic environment. And, and, and it made me realize for the past couple of weeks, it's also connected to why I got into drug addiction. And we'll talk about this later. But there was like this level of like, um, of wildness in my, fa my family history, at least on my mom's side, there is like, I mean, you, you, there is a book that talks about it if you want to know more. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, yeah. A, that's crazy. I, you, that's so crazy. the book was about your grandmother? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, or her whole life. And it's two books. And Tom 2 is mostly about my mom's life up until like, you know, from the day she was born up until like, unfortunately, my mom took her life. But it was, it, all of this is written in, in the accounting of my grandmother. And so that's, this is the weird type of ego boost, you know, like in 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 some of the movies where the hero find out there is a legend about him, and like he's the he's the he's the weird thing. Mine is this book where like my grandma told me how fucked up my life is actually, and wow. how like it's so wild, it's so wild. That is absolutely yeah. wild. So, what? Why was there a book written about your grandmother? Well, I guess I I guess like like many many grandparents like their stories are fascinating and I think she had the right connections and she had the right we we I I feel like and I, it's something that I've I've separated myself from the my family my my family for me is only my father and my brother and my sister really and so I didn't know anything about my family but like you know when I grew up I would hear the stories and 
I feel like every Vicchio family have that. Like, you know, we're from a very important family. We're very affluent before the war and things like this. And I was like, yeah, everybody says that, whatever. Like, you know, it's, the, it's the immigrant tale. And then, and then, and then two weeks ago, I'm like, oh, there is an actual fucking book about it. And it's like, okay, I, I, you know, so apparently there was, we were well connected. Yeah. That's such a trip. Like, I cannot believe you've yes. just found this out two weeks ago that it came out in 2015. Yeah. Did you, yeah, I mean, I, and then having your girlfriend read it to you, was that like, were you, was that with trepidation? Were you worried? Were you scared? Yeah, I'd be terrified I, to hear what I'm about to read. I was in a sense. And then it's, I feel like it's the, the, I believe in the, in, in those things. So I feel like the universe is just putting this right now at the right time. Cause I'm ready to deal with it. But the, my half, I have a half brother here. He was part of creating that book with my grandmother because he was still in touch with, we have the same mother. We had the same mother. And, and he told me about that book, but I was like, ah, this is a part of my family that I don't know and I don't want to know about. He was like, yeah, but you know, our mother is, is in the book in a, in a few, but he doesn't read Vietnamese either. He's French too. <laughs> and so he never read the book and he, he just told me, yeah, there is a few, there is a chapter about our mom. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. I don't care about grandma and I don't care about that book really. And I was, I was still dealing with my thing. And so when my, my girlfriend started reading it, I was like, oh, this, this sounds interesting. Maybe she'll get a glimpse of why I am like this. And like, you know, and it's, it's good to see the old, for her to read about the, the old Vietnamese culture and like, you know, about mm -hmm. relationship, money and everything. Because she was a very typical Vietnamese lady of that time. But I didn't know that all of the second book was about my mom, and and it, and it went deep, and it, it's it's and it made me think so much about the truth, especially when someone dies in a family. My grandmother wasn't here, and the way she describes my father, and the, the way she described the life that my mother had, was like it's a book, so it's it's fictionalized, and my dad is really depicted as the worst person on earth. Oh no! <laughs> and so it was, and it was like, okay, so I had to sit down with my girl and be like, okay, there is. There is different truth. There is my grandma's grandma's truth. There is yeah. my, my my father's truth. Then there is the the real result and the real truth that you can look at is the byproduct of all of this is the grandkids. So me, my sister, and my brother, and how hmm. how we're living and how good our mental health is and how much love do we still like you know share with our family. And this is the real. I feel like the real truth, the only truth that you can look at at least. And and I was like, and if you look, we're there is some damage that has been done. <laughs> so whichever truth you want to choose, for me, it's like choose the one that will make me feel better at the end. So it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's still a work in progress. I mean, I'll tell you in a month how I feel about oh, all of this. Oh, I'm sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and obviously I'm no psychologist, so I, I'm, I'm one of these people I don't like to give like false platitudes or false advice or be like, oh, you know, it's going to be okay. I have no idea how to react to what <laughs> yeah. you've just told me. I have no yeah, idea yeah. what to say to you and I'm not going to pretend that I do. That's just, yeah. that's pretty like heavy. Really, yeah. like, I'm just, again, like, that's going to be, uh, I'm just trying to think, like, what if I'd found this book about my grandparents and found <laughs> out all this information yeah. and yeah. and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, so let's, Go forward then from that and then say, so you left to go to Canada in 19 and yeah. what made you do so, that then? So I'll tell you the, the I'll tell you the, 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 the story with hindsight. Cause like at that time I didn't, I did not know why I was doing what I was doing. I was just running away from life, trying to survive. 
Yeah. But so, no, so basically, mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was just pretending. Like, I was like pretending to be French, pretending to live, pretending to have some type of personality. But so after my mom passed, basically, you know, when, when, when a mother passed, I suffered from a huge fear of abandonment, a huge fear of not being enough, obviously, because like, you know, your mom is not here and why wouldn't she love you enough to stay for you? So that was the, the patterns that I was, that I was having in my head. Then again, that's hindsight. Now I, I discovered it through my recovery that all these patterns of thinking. And then my dad was, dad was. My dad is and was pretty toxic too. He was very controlling as any Asian father, but like he had a very, very gaslighty, very, very controlling, very toxic at the end of the day where I would, I would never equate to anything. I would always be, you know, below him. No, none of his kids, like the, the, his most famous sentence was like, none of his kids is ever going to be like him. Why none of his kids are going to be, you know, as good as him. You'll never do anything anyway. You'll be literally, he would say quite often, every time he would be upset, he would, be, he would go, Anyway, you're going to be a drug addict and you're going to have AIDS and you're going to die. <laughs> and I'm like, one AIDS Holy away to make his wish come true. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to get AIDS and dad, you wish come true. <laughs> oh my goodness. But so why? that was the Do you know why? I don't, yeah, I mean, I, I don't understand human beings like at all. Like at yeah. all. So many things you hear about human beings and I'm like, I don't understand why you would act like that or do like that. And there's just a, a you know, an infinite amount of examples. Yeah. And so that's just another one. I'm just like, I'm very blessed in my life. I've not had anything like that. My family, um, I was going to say for all the faults, they really don't have really mm. any faults. They're amazing. And so yeah. I'm very, very lucky in that sense. And so when I hear about the, this kind of behavior from anyone or anything, and I'm like, why would you why would you do that so do you have any idea of any sense from the book or from your own experience why they would act like that it, again with hindsight i'm like it's i think because you know my dad was was quite the typical vietnamese educated person but that's but it's and it's still the same here in the vietnamese culture but there is nothing given to you for mental health tools there is nothing given to you as like you know here in vietnam when you have a mental health problem you're crazy different like mm. it, that's how they label you and it's so i feel like, I feel like you know with uh, i try to be compassionate and i'm like okay if i was a f an immigrant father that came with nothing and i have three kids and suddenly my my wife passes you know the love of my life and i have to deal with those three kids like so i would just like when you're when you're a hostage you start like you know you have that stockholm syndrome and you start like justifying the mm. action the toxic actions of someone and obviously it's my dad and it's like the only person that can love me at this point so i'm like justifying everything he's doing for me that's normal except like you know the the repercussion on my body is like i was just like so a frustrated little kid trying to live and you know like and teenage come in and I, I you know hormones shoots in and i want to have girlfriends and things like this and i can't do any of those very basic instinct at the end of the day but i just wanted to live and so at 19 i went i went to my dad and i was like fuck dad like i can't live here anymore i didn't i didn't give you any type of like teenage tantrum but i i have to get out you know my sister was going wild and i was just i just at that time, I felt like running away would solve all of my problems. And I've done this a couple of times in my life where I was like, I'm just going to change country. And I think like <laughs> in my, my fucking bag of shit is not going to follow me. <laughs> <laughs> but so at that time, I was like, yeah, dad, I want to go to a Chinese, to a Buddhist temple. Send me to a, a, a Shaolin temple at that. And I want to I want to practice like Kung Fu and like go to China. And because I, I, I was so stupid at that time, I thought that was the only option that my dad would agree to. 
mm. that I go and, and become a monk like him. <laughs> very, very, mm. very first degree thing. And, and he was like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. But what about you go to Canada to study English because you're going to need English to succeed in life. You know, very Vietnamese typical like mentality. And I was like, whatever you want, man, as long as I'm not in yeah. this house, I'm like, you know, and so I went to study English in 2004. And then I was like, that's it. He gave me the occasion to stay in Canada. And, uh, and I was like, I'm staying no matter what, because it was the first time that I was out of that environment. And I, and I started living at 19, really. And then I didn't, so I, there was, uh, most of my 20s, I pretended to leave. So most of my time in Canada, I was like, I pretended I was just surviving. I was, I didn't know how to live. And I didn't, I didn't have any tools to, to understand my emotions or to deal with my emotions. And so I, like, I remember I rushed through, I rushed into a relationship that lasted from 19 to 24 years old. And I was looking at it in hindsight, I was probably the most toxic fucking guy that this girl oh, ever no. met in her, in her life and i'm so sorry for her again in hindsight because i was just a, yeah. a this weird copy of my father but th at the same time this little abandoned kid that just was like why do you love me are you sure you love me no you're gonna leave me and i was just, just a fucking toxic guy <laughs> oh no yeah so, so you felt like you'd, you'd brought you'd kind of like you know mimicking your father at that point i, I without knowing it without and because and i, I it's so weird how like, especially when you're in a sensitive position, you, you copy what you've seen. And for me, when I started to be in relationships, when things didn't go my way, I would copy the only person that I've seen in relationship, which was my father. And even though the intention was to never become my father in relationships, in the worst moments of my relationships, mm. I became a copy of him. Super toxic, super, super... Yes, super toxic. And, and again, then, so do you, can with well, with hindsight, can you now think about how you then moved on from that? Yeah. So the 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 hindsight didn't come until the drug addiction. So I'm gonna fast forward. Like okay. most of my twenties, if 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 I may, most of my twenties, I pretended to live, and I, I ran away to Australia, thinking that I would I would find an answer to what was happening inside. Never picked up a book about mental health. Never picked up a book about self-help or anything like this. I, I pretended a lot to know about everything. It was just insecure, full of insecurity. And then I got engaged. I got engaged in 2016 to this girl. And, and nothing made sense. Even like I couldn't even think of like getting married. I couldn't. And, and people asked me, but why, why are you getting married? And I was like, because it makes sense. But I couldn't make sense out of it in my head. I was so like conflicted. And I think at that time too, I was starting to have a very good position at my work. I was used to work at a tour company in Toronto. And then I had this fiance that fit all the social criteria, but I was so lost inside. And then my dad and my brother got into a huge argument in Paris and, and I had to go back to kind of like mediate the whole thing. And then at that time, I Long story short, someone offered me crystal meth at a party and I was like, fuck this. Like, you know, I'm going to be that drug addict that, that my father wanted to be. And, you know, I, I, part of my, my personal stories, I have a, I have, I had a wild sexuality and crystal meth was really helping with that at that time. And so when I got offered crystal meth again, back in Canada, that's when I, I did it. I think it was in April, 2017 and, and I was hooked and it, it was like, it was just, it was just bad it was that's the only thing that i can say at this point it was just bad where like the the drug in itself which 
you know, I, I, I must say that don't do drugs, anybody. <laughs> <laughs> but the drug in itself allowed me to, to express my truth because it gives it gives you no fear like it, it removes uh, the fear it's a little bit like cocaine and then i could be as i could be as myself as i wanted to be but then the problem is i could be as bad as i wanted to be and then there was the, this whole side of twacy that was hidden for so many years because i i was i was living through my insecurities and my fears so when the when the crystal meth came in there was this whole side of me that just went like i exist and i'm just the the worst motherfucker in the world and like you know all the dirty side of me and all the good so all the good and the bad came out and and i think most of the bad came out first <laughs> yeah now what you you'd mentioned this to me before is mm -hmm. so you were a high functioning drug addict right yeah 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 yeah. and so that's yeah. the kind of common misconception on the media anyway i guess mm -hmm. or the kind of movie portrayal of a drug addict is is yeah. someone who's living under a bridge or is in this abandoned house and yeah. that, you know and we and obviously at the far end of drug addiction that can happen like that doesn't doesn't mean that it doesn't happen yeah and so you hear the words crystal meth and that you think of someone with no teeth and and blah 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 and then I, obviously yeah, yeah. i can see you right now a very handsome man have all your your <laughs> own, own yeah. teeth i think i don't know if it's your own yeah, teeth no, but they're you have all beautiful fake, teeth. <laughs> they're all fake. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they are they are they are yeah. So explain then, I guess, a little bit about that for anyone that's listening. So what, what does that mean? Like, I, even when you first mentioned it to me when we talked before and you were like, oh, yeah, I was addicted to crystal meth. And I was like, wait, what? Because it just didn't really compute. Yeah. Because I guess what we hear and see in, in, in society or in the media or whatnot, what does that mean? And how are you able to be a functioning crystal meth user? Because I, I've never tried it to full disclosure, <laughs> so I have no idea what it feels like. I, My other I, question is, well, would you can follow up on is, it must be bloody good though. That's what I always think about that. If you're a heroin addict or you're a crystal meth addict, like it has to be good. Otherwise you wouldn't do it that much. But I don't know, maybe explain to me, maybe it's only good the first time. And then after that, you're just trying to recreate that high. I, I don't know. So you can, you can talk about any of those subjects that I've just yeah, thrown at is, you. Yeah. I, I first thanks. Cause I've, I've, I, I've, I've very seldomly talked about the, this, this whole period, or I, I'm, I'm more in control of the narrative when I, when I do so. But first, when I say I'm a high functioning addict, it's me saying that truth, but you should talk to my coworkers and see if they sell, if they saw that <laughs> that way at that time. <laughs> I, one of, one they'll of, be listening to this and they'll be like, he yeah. was not high functioning yeah, at was, all. No, my one of the comparison because I so I came out. I came out to my staff in 2018. After one year of doing it, I, I sat down with most of them, the owner of the company, and I told them, "Yeah, I've been doing crystal meth for one year every day." Actually, at the beginning, I, the the really stupid joke that I was trying to make is like, "Hey guys, so I have I have this. I have to tell you this. Like, I've been doing this this thing for the past year. It's this white crystal, and you know, as soon as you take it, like you're hooked, and like you know." It, it gives you really high highs and really low lows. And 60% of North America is addicted to it. And like, you know, it, and it's sugar. <laughs> and then people were like, what are you talking about, Swayze? I thought you were talking about crystal meth. I was like, no, but I, I was trying to, to compare it. So like, you, it doesn't sound as bad. Like, you know, <laughs> I was like, and I was really dedicated to that joke. <laughs> and I was like, but do you see like sugar is, is the big evil here? And, and, and people didn't get it. <laughs> and i was like okay uh, fuck it like but so the, the i i said so i told everybody and then i remember one of my one of my co-worker and very good friend still my friend he was like 
I knew something was up, man, because I saw you like, you know, a few months back and the best way I could describe you was you watch Stranger Things? The uh, first two seasons and then I, yeah, then I so gave up the, on it, it. You only need to watch the first season. But you remember Winona Ryder when she's scratching on the walls trying to find her kid? <laughs> and she's all like jittery and she's like... <laughs> <laughs> so I would describe myself as a high-functioning addict. He would describe me as this. And I, I feel like the truth is more to his side. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> But you so were still was, able to keep your job for a year doing it every day. And so, yeah. again, so to me, I, like, I, I just don't understand that kind of concept of like, I mean, for me, I wouldn't eat, like, I, I couldn't even have more than like a beer or doing, I just couldn't like yeah. really function on any it's, type of, of alcohol yeah, or anything. Like, so to, to, and you, you're not the only person I've heard this in, in media or whatever, don't really know many people, but you know, people talk about being able to, mm -hmm work with drug addictions and i'm just like how do you do that it's uh, i don't think i don't think you planned for it I, i think it's more survival kicking in and like me not having it at that time obviously the drug addict has no discipline i had no discipline of life i'm not like i'm not the guy that i'm today with like my routines and all those things and for me it was like as soon as i did it and like i as soon as for some reason i did it for three days straight and like there was a big problem in my relationship at that time And I was like, uh, how am I going to go to work? I have all those responsibilities. So I started doing it at work as a crutch. And then it's like, it's, and then, and then you enter that super vicious circle of like, yeah, but like, if I stop now, then I'm going to have the biggest come down. And so I need to do some more. And then, and then obviously, because again, or at least in my experience, like, you know, there is that ego that kicks in, obviously, because it's fed by crystal meth that goes, I'm, I can handle it. I will handle wow. it. And, and because I had the money to handle it, I handled it. But, you know, and it's like, it's also in it's also realizing in hindsight again that people don't give a fuck really about you. Like, you know, like, like even if you say that you have a problem, you have to ask for the proper help and you have to mm -hmm. be ready to, to receive that help for people to actually give a shit. If not, they don't. Like, they, Everybody has their own problem. Like, you know, they're like, oh, Tracy, you're addicted to crystal meth. Good for you. I have my own problems, you know, at the end of the day. So as long as you can keep your work and you can be as productive as you, as you can be, if you're telling me that you're going to be okay, then I'm going to trust you because that's, that's the way it is at the end of the day. And then a few of my friends came in, did some intervention. But at the end, even after I came out, I probably stopped for a week, a week and a half. And then I started doing it in secret again. And uh, up until I, I came to Vietnam, And so up until I came to Vietnam and then I relapsed. So there was, there, there was a whole a process to it. The, when, yeah, the high functioning addict, I say that I'm a high, I was a high functioning addict because the result was I worked while mm. on meth. The, the, the funny thing too. So I, so the, the story that I had, so I, I, I there was this girl that, that I've met And obviously she came, I, I wasn't the best person. Like I, 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 you know, obviously I, we did, we did mess together. And, and so she took a puff of it and, and then she looked at me and she goes, oh, this is so weird. This is very familiar. The, the, the feeling. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of weird. Like, oh, I guess, I guess she's done drugs before or anything like this. And then she comes back the week after and she puts her ADHD pills on the table. And she goes, this was the feeling that I've had. And so with a little bit of, of research after this, and I remember this was July, 2018, it was like, I looked at it. And so if you look at Adderall, Vivance, and all those, those ADHD pill, 
it's all derivative of amphetamine. And so methamphetamine is also a derivative of amphetamine. And so at some point when I was trying to quit meth, I would take Vivens. So I would pop two pills in the morning and, and, and go to work. And it would give me the same, literally the same. And I've met in my tribulation in the world of addicts, I've met so many people that switch from pills, from their ADHD pills to like street drugs because it was cheaper. It's more accessible actually. So this was the wild realization. So obviously wild. after this, I went like, okay, there must be a reason why, you know, when I, wa I wasn't doing anything stupid, when I was high on crystal meth, I would read books, I would work and I would be so focused. So I went and I did the ADHD test and I was like, yeah, 10 out of 10. Yay. <laughs> so that was the reason why also crystal meth was like, like was this blessing in disguise? It was self-medicating basically. Yeah. It was like this weird thing where it taught me discipline in some ways because it focused me. So basically mm -hmm. what it did for me was like, because usually when you do crystal meth, you do, you do those things for stupid things. So you're stuck focused on that stupid thing for eight hours at a time. And if you smoke more, so it's, it's a never ending. So if it's sex, sex for eight hours, if it's porn, it's porn for eight hours. If it's just reading books, it's books for eight hours. So you're focused on one thing for eight hours. And that's why, that's why in, in so many universities in the States now, like people are popping Adderall like crazy, like in, in finance. Oh like, yeah. You know, yeah. And so, and literally like I'm, and I do not promote any of those. And, and for, if you popped Adderall before, you've done meth for me because it's the exact same, exact same feeling, except it's more wow. socially excitable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So to get away from, let's get this clear, to get away from your drug addiction to crystal meth, you thought the best idea was to come to Vietnam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the, that's the, that's, yeah, that's a good joke. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. don't, as I mentioned, I've never done crystal meth, yeah. but I'm pretty sure I know exactly where I could go and get crystal meth right now in Saigon yeah. if I really yeah. wanted it. Yeah. It's a street that begins with B and V and it would probably take <laughs> about half a block yeah. before yeah. I would get it. Cause I've been walked down that street many times. I've been offered yeah. many things. I, so why did you think, so apart from obviously being v, Q Vietnamese overseas, mm -hmm. having Vietnamese parents, what made you come to Vietnam to escape that addiction? And then you obviously mentioned that you relapsed but from our previous conversations. That's not been an ongoing thing. So, so the, the, the wild bet that I've, I've made, cause so, so when I came out the first time and I hit that first rock bottom, I, I was like, okay, I can only, there's only two ways to go at this point. Now that everybody, I, I've lost my social image. Everybody knows that I'm this this weird guy doing crystal meth. I can whether end up, you know, poster boy for crystal meth addiction and I start losing my teeth and I start scratching myself. And I, and, or I go and find out why this whole shit is happening to me. And, and so I started studying, like learning, reading books and like meeting the right people, like, and trying to figure the sh my shit out. And so the wild bet that I've made was like, Vietnam is going to be, uh, the place that will allow me to afford a healthy lifestyle. And that was a really wild bet. Because any type of rehab, like, so there is the, the, there is the government rehab in Canada where they, you go in, they pump you full of pills and then they release you in the wild and then you relapse. Like I've, I've seen so many of my, my acquaintances of that time that went to rehab and they, they were hooked on pills by the time they got out and they didn't, mm. and it's like, they look at the drugs as the reason for the crime, but they don't look at the motives inside, like, you know, the emotional baggage mm. and all of this. So nothing, nothing was, 
And so a proper rehab is like fifty thousand dollars in 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 Canada. And I was like, I'm pretty sure for that same budget, if I come to Vietnam, I can afford a healthier lifestyle in my own accord. And so I, mm. I came in with with all that this this beautiful speech and me knowing everything about addiction because I read you know a book about habits and <laughs> and the power of while you were while you were on crystal meth for eight <laughs> yeah. hours I was like I know everything I'm gonna take some yeah I'm gonna take some crystal meth and I'm gonna read this book about how to not take crystal meth <laughs> it was like it was it's so wild and so I I came and I and I remember talking to to my friend Sabrina and I was like. Yeah, so I've been addicted to to crystal meth, and then I'm I'm here in Vietnam to to quit it, and I, I'm gonna get my life back together. And she looked at me at some point, and we're sitting at this bar, like not so far from Buivin, and she goes, "Tracy, do you know how easy it is to find drugs in Vietnam?" And I go, and I go, "No, but tell me more." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, but so like I. I, I I heard that and I was like, yeah, but no, it's okay. Like you know, at that time I was so motivated, but obviously mm. at the first at the first emotional low, it's true. It took me literally twenty five minutes from me feeling not so good about myself, feeling like having that fear of dying alone again, like you know this very very unsettling feeling, to having crystal meth in my hand and to twenty five minutes literally. 25 minutes and i can i can still it's, remember it's crazy so I've, I've seen i've read this before there was an amazing three-part mini series with benedict cumberbatch and i cannot remember the name of it off the top of my head it came out a couple of years ago and it was like a, a biopic of this this guy who'd been a, a, a drug addict and the first episode is basically him going to new york to a party and mm -hmm. just how quickly when he he's not even from new york and once he decided he wanted drugs, he could just find it like yeah. that. And I read, I think it was Russell Brand talked about it as well. And he's like, if you're a drug addict, you will just, you can find drugs like uh, uh, immediately. Like 25 minutes is all you need. Yeah. And for someone who's not a drug addict, you're like, how the hell would you find uh, drugs in 25 minutes? But I mean, I can understand it. It's crazy. But like, and and I didn't know that either until I, and, and, and Russell Brand, bless his soul, his book, was a big help in my recovery. He has a book called Recovery, actually. Beautiful book mm. for anyone that is dealing with any type of addiction. I highly recommend the audiobook. It really soothes many of my nights, like, you know, trying to figure shit out. But no matter where I was, actually, when, once I started doing crystal meth, whether it was Paris, Toronto, you know, Vietnam or anything like this, once you're into that world, you realize, shit, just in my building, there is at least three people doing some type of drugs. And wow. that was, that was uh, it. Yeah, like, you know, right? Whether it's weed, cocaine, meth, there is going to be someone in your building. Right now, in your building, <laughs> yeah, there is yeah. someone doing crystal meth. I can guarantee you this. <laughs> and yeah, it's, and no, that's, that's so wild. That's interesting point, right? Yeah. And then you, you, don't know, you don't notice this until you notice this. And then when you notice it, you're like, oh, shit. Like, you know, all the, even like, you know, like if you're an entrepreneur, and like you're you're the, in the hustle and you're like living the fast life you're whether on cocaine adderall crystal meth you have something in your system to be able to sustain this amount of work i'm yeah. generalizing again i would say like 90 percent of that like you know probably there's, true. There's yeah, something. Yeah. and it takes takes discipline and practice to get out of all of that mm. yeah so the other point of, that you've made is uh, which i find only hilarious in hindsight because probably before I'd ever lived here, I would would be like, yeah, totally. But you came to Vietnam for a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did was... you want like MSG and just 
like <laughs> rice is just like your diet is like i'm gonna come for a healthy diet of yeah, msg yeah. now yeah. i'm obviously being a bit facetious you can have a very healthy lifestyle here in vietnam yeah. absolutely yeah, but you can also have an unhealthy lifestyle yeah, yeah. as well it, it can be a trap it's 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 whatever you want to put it in like what which effort you want to drive it but like I came, I came five years ago to Vietnam and I wanted to live in Vietnam and I left after 10 days because I was not ready to have a healthy lifestyle. I literally went drinking for 10 days straight and I was trying to mm. hook up with girls and like feed my ego and things like this. And it was like, yeah, no, like it's, that's not a healthy lifestyle. But there was, and, and I'm, I mean, like I have a healthy lifestyle today. So I'm like, yeah, I'm the, yeah. I'm the proof that you can do it. It's not, it's not as easy as Twasty thought in 2019 it's definitely not <laughs> yeah so how did you then finally kind of turn that round and, and so how long have you been sober in terms of crystal meth i don't know if you drink or, or whatnot I, I so i i i i think i had like i because i i track all my habits now so I'm, I, I became this robot a lot of people are laughing at me so so the way i got out of this first it was like acknowledging that i so and and that's the on a more serious note the problem of addiction for many is the inability of letting go of something like we're, we're, we we want to stay in control even to of our high and so we can't let go of 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 our problems or anything like this and we don't know who to let go to and we don't know how to ask for help and we don't know we don't even know what discipline or what route to take you know to get out of it we can know some informations but at the end of the day it's you have to you know take it day by day it's always one day at a time you know if you go from the 12 steps program it's always a day at a time and so at my second relapse that's when i i i was i already met my girlfriend of the the moments and i remember doing it in front of her and and she looked at me and uh, she was like i i i don't know what you're going through but i'm here to support you but are you sure that's the life that you want you know, like, are you sure this is the fucking life that you want? Like, you know, there is all the beautiful words that you tell me and that there is the actuality mm. of your actions. And then there was this moment of, of growth, I think, where I looked at myself and I was like, do I want to justify my actions again? Because I can, I can justify them saying like, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a high functioning addict to it. I, I still have friends that are like, you know, doing tons of cocaine and justify their lifestyle because they have the money to do so and they're getting, you know, all those things. And I was like, do I want to go and justify and, and bring this girl into this weird world? Or do I want to actually put, you know, like walk the walk and actually take responsibility and accountability for what I'm doing with my life? And I think I, uh, it took tremendous effort to, to, not, to not go down the dark, the dark path dark, again. Dark and I was like, fuck, she's right, you know? And then we, she's much younger than me. So like I, we're 13 years apart. And I was like, yeah, I... I owe it to myself first and I owe it to her to not fuck up. Even when I said that, like, you know, two weeks after I relapsed again, because it's really, really fucking hard. And then, so mm. I had to go back to all the knowledge that I had and, and I worked in tourism a lot. And the only time that I, I, I had a good day when I look back is the day when I was a tour guide and I had an itinerary well-traced. I knew I was going to wake up at seven. I knew I had breakfast at this time. I knew I had to go there and, and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do one itinerary for my day every day. And that's how I started this whole system started. that I'm coaching right now where like, you know, people are talking about it. They created this, but it's called the life operating system. And that's exactly what I have right now. So I have this daily checklist of habit tracking, journaling, and, and financial tracking. And then in the week, 
I sit down with my girlfriend and we have this weekly review for two hours and everything is well regulated now. And in, for me, it's super important because again, like I'm going to be an addict my whole life. And that's mm -hmm. the way, like, you know, we, it's really dangerous, especially for addictive personality to say, I'm, re I'm a recovered addict. You, it's, mm -hmm. it's much easier to say, I, I'm going to be an addict all my life. And it's one day at a time. So that's how I approach it. And that's it. Russell Brand kind of has that yeah. mantra, right? And I've heard him yeah. talk about that. He's like, I am an addict. Yeah. And it's actually interesting you brought that up because my next question was going to be, do you consider yourself an addict? Because yeah. there's a, a famous comedy duo in the UK called Bedil and Skinner. And I saw them being interviewed for the, the Euros last year. And, mm -hmm. and they were kind of reminiscing about the last time England did well in the Euros and blah, blah, blah. And it's always stuck with me. I always I think about this often. So the guy David Badil turned around to Frank Skinner and he went, "Oh yeah, and Romel, you were you were an addict, back, you were an alcoholic back then." And he immediately just went, "No, no, I'm still an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. I just don't drink." And I was like, yeah. "Wow, they're like best yeah. friends." And I was like, "Your best friend just like fucked yeah. that up like yeah, that. Yeah. You're always an alcoholic. You're yeah. never like." Yeah. So I just but I thought I was it showed you he was obviously I think quite he's been a, he's been sober for a very long time and just the way he just looked at him and he was like no I'm I'm an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There for for me it's like when I when I say this now contrary to how I would speak to myself back in the days I say this with a lot of self love and and mm. and compassion for myself compassion where I'm like yes I the unfortunately the way I grew up made me an addict. And mm. uh, and you I understand why. and now that I understand my life and I'm still understanding it. Obviously, this book just dropped on me two weeks ago, so I'm I'm still processing things. But it's the good thing about it is I can see I can see the evolution of of who is Tuasi, and I'm like, I am an addict is not yeah, the only sentence that is going to define me anymore. Mm. I am I am Tuasi that knows now how to love himself, that knows now how to forgive himself, and that knows. I mean, like if I if this book dropped. Three years ago, I think I would be I would be deep deep in a cave, mm. doing <laughs> doing some stupid shit like you know trying to hurt myself because I didn't know how to express anything. But now I'm like, okay, I need now I'm like like you know like after my girl talked to me about the book, I was like, I think I'm gonna go to the beach for a week by myself and uh, I'm just gonna go and write and process my feelings mm. and and so that's the good thing about this is yes, I am an addict and I will be an addict and I'm not. Not because I'm scared to relapse, it I'm might it, or it might not happen, but at least I know for myself that the relapse is not going to be as intense or it not, it's not going to have the same meaning. And I do have a system in place now that will allow me to, because it's only for me, it's a, it's a very selfish reason, that will allow me to rediscipline myself, to take accountability right away and to be responsible for my own life because I'm not expecting anyone to do it for me anymore. And so that's the beautiful thing about this of like, you know, you can choose the words to label yourself. And I do have the system now to also, you know, deal with it. Yeah. Awesome. No, that's beautiful. And uh, I'm glad you're healthy and happier now and, and can deal with this stuff because, yeah, it's a, it's a lot to take on. And yeah, no, just well done. And get, yeah. let's give a big shout out to your, your girlfriend because uh, for someone who's 13 years your junior, she sounds like a very wise, wise person. <laughs> I mean, it, it, all like you know, I I I love her. I don't think she was wise or anything. I I she literally said the truth. She's like, I don't I don't understand what the fuck is going on. <laughs> but you look like shit, <laughs> so deal with it. <laughs> and I I didn't need anyone to understand. I I just need I just needed support and just someone to tell me the fucking truth and be like, 
you'll get your mm. shit together, you know. And she was she was there at the right time giving support. So yeah, no, but shout out the to her. The truth is wisdom. That is yeah. being wise if yeah. she's giving yeah. you the truth. And that's the all truth. you need, right? Because you you know, because it's the opposite, right? Think of the opposite as your friend being like, no, man, you're good. Just have another one. We'll be fine. Let's go out tonight. Come on. We're yeah, going out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's the opposite, right? So having yeah. someone to actually just be like, I, I do. There I you do. go. You so, know, I have, I have a couple of friends. Sorry, I cut you off. But I have a couple of friends, a well, couple of acquaintance. I'm, I'm very, very dedicated at like, about boundaries. And I won't mention their name, but I have a few friends. That, you don't want to call them a friend yet? You're yeah, like, they're no, acquaintances. Like, they're not friends. And you know, we're not, we're not that. We've not put an official it, label on our we, friend relationship yet. We're just I have, acquaintances. I have acquaintances that, that I know for a while now that knew about my... Because they're, they're a high-functioning addict. And they call me every six months or things like this. And they go like, Hey, how are you? It's Wacy. Oh, I'm so happy you're doing all right. You're doing all right, huh? You you didn't relapse. And like yeah. in 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 their tone, it's like they want me to relapse in a way. And I'm trying to separate myself from all of this because they're like that would justify their own lifestyle. And I'm like I'm just mm. I'm calling them out a little bit. And like they're like, yeah, I'm doing cocaine all the time. It's it's fine, Wacy. You can have that lifestyle. But I'm so happy you're doing all right. Yeah, don't don't do any drugs. But are you? Yeah, yeah. they gotta like justify what they're doing because yeah. you're. If you're doing it as well, they can go back to everyone else. Be like, "Yeah, two us, he's doing it as well. Come on, let's go do more cocaine, yeah. everyone. Let's celebrate." Yeah. Well, we're gonna wrap up now. Thank you so so much. This no has problem. been so amazing. Um, I absolutely love doing these podcasts because getting Thank to you. know people and tell their story and know more about them. It's literally why I started back in 2019. Is just like this episode. Every episode is an example of it. Yeah. This one is just a perfect example because we've come across each other. I've been on your podcast. Lots of people would know who Tuasi is because you're on the podcast, know your name. And, and you, you know, when we met, you just kind of casually dropped. You were like, oh yeah, I was a high-functioning drug addict. And I was like, wait, what? But to then come on here and, and share your story, this, is, this was the reason because why I started this podcast because everyone does have a story. And, yeah. and I've realized more and more that we don't, myself included, this is one of the reasons why I absolutely love being on your podcast. We don't get the chance to share those stories with other exactly. people really because most of our relationships are pretty superficial and I don't mean that in a bad way but you know how often do you sit down with a friend and have like a real in-depth conversation <laughs> and I've mentioned it before you know like Lewis Wright and Kim Nguyen two of our best friends in the world yeah and they were on this podcast in the very beginning as a test episode and it ended up becoming episodes I probably never still to this day had as much of an in-depth conversation yeah. with them as I had in I that know. moment Totally and so agree. being able to, to to talk at an in-depth level, share these stories. I appreciate that you feel comfortable enough to come on and do thank this you. and share it and, and let people know. So thank you so, so much. No, thank you. So we're going to finish up with the, the final questions that I ask everyone at the end of an episode. And then they're different for season eight. So we've already, we've, this is episode two. Yeah. So uh, as many people know, the borders are finally opening here <laughs> in Vietnam. Yeah. Life is slowly getting back to normal, which is amazing. But if you could travel anywhere in Vietnam for a week, where would you go and why? Oh, oh, I think for one week. Can I give you, can, can I give you two locations? <laughs> no, you're going to go one place. You're going to stay there for a week. Why would you go there? Oh, fuck. Okay, so it has to be a location that I've already been to. And I think I would pick. Uh, Doesn't not necessarily. I'm 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 I would be too scared to have a bad experience. A place that I, I think I would go to the beach yeah. anyway. Like right now, my my first reaction, and I told you, like I want to go to the beach anyway to process all my. Yeah. But we, I I think I would go to Danang really. Danang or Hoi An? Hoi An, I think. Hoi An. 
Just so you know, Da Nang doesn't have a beach. Oh no, Da Nang does have a beach. I thought you said Dala. I was about to say like Dala doesn't have a beach. Yeah, yeah. No. Da Nang does have a beach. All right, so Da Nang, Hoi An, all right. Yeah, they Nang are a beautiful Yan, spot, yeah. definitely. I, I'm, I'm all right, yeah. what advice would you give to someone thinking about moving to Vietnam? I don't think, just do it. Just do it. Like you don't want to be, you don't want to be four years old looking back at, at uh, I mean, depending on what age, any age, you don't want to go down 10 years down the road and look back and be like, I had the chance to be in Vietnam and I didn't do it. And that's the number one advice that I would give anyone in tourism is like, just fucking do it. I mean, especially after COVID right now, if it's reopening, don't take traveling for granted. Don't take those opportunities for granted at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You have the chance. Yeah, that's a it. good point. Do not take anything for granted. Just do it. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, what would, one of the next question is, what advice would you give to a tourist coming to Vietnam for the first time? Be very clear about what type of experience you want to have <laughs> <laughs> and how far you're willing to go. Like if how it's like a healthy you? experience or an unhealthy experience because Vietnam can bring you to the depth of everything or to the highest of, of all. So prepare a little bit of preparation and <laughs> The right environment, yeah. yeah. Were you were you never inspired to go to like Bali or something like that? Do the whole eat, pray, love thing. But I'm sure no. in Bali you could equally get drugs in 25 minutes. As yeah, well if you yeah. Want to. Most most likely, I I've, I've never thought about this. I've Vietnam was my only choice to be very honest with you because yeah, there was the ease of being able to speak at least. And there is so. yeah for sure. Yeah. So this is a topic that comes up often. What do you think is the difference between an expat and an immigrant? Oh, I love, I love that question. I I used to be really big in uh, in Toronto in the community, and so for us, and I feel like it's it's a uh, for lack of better word, it's a Caucasian versus the rest of the world type of of discussion where. For me, it's because I was labeled an immigrant for so long. For me, it doesn't bother me even with the Western culture to be like, yeah, I'm an immigrant to Vietnam, an immigrant, an immigrant to Canada, because it's like reappropriating that word that was negatively labeled to my father and my parents and things like this, like, oh, those immigrants. And in the, in the, in the same way, I understand why, you know, Caucasians or like, you know, people non, non from immigrants background do not want to be labeled immigrants. And I feel, and so I'll, I'll tell you a, a real story about this is I'm helping this company. I'm, I'm consulting. That's one of the things you wanted to know too. Coach, coach Sultan is just coach and consultant. Just, just. Well, I figured it's that. It's not yeah. really difficult to figure out. Well, we were going to talk more in depth about it, but we, we, yeah, we, anyway. we can make that one another but episode. We've, so we, we're basically like in a where I'm I'm consulting his business and it was the his Facebook group for the longest was called like the 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 group for a successful immigrant to Canada and literally there was no there was no traction because all the French people Caucasian French people would not want to be immigrants and then so literally at the end we had to change the name to expat <laughs> successful expat in canada and then suddenly people started signing up to it and it's because so at the end of the day like the battle is the battle is lost <laughs> you like you know expat sounds better yes to immigrants and i understand at this point i'm not going to battle it in in technicity i think an expat is someone that is sent to another country by his company 
and that's that's technicals but whatever. So, that, so yeah. i definitely agree like you know the words have been you know uh, weaponized or denigrated whatnot yeah. you know and, and immigrant immigrant has been used as a, a negative context for sure but for me and especially in the context of being in vietnam and I talked about this before essentially for me yeah the definition is the difference between either being sent by your company or coming to work for a, a short or an indefinite amount of time yeah. versus an immigrant by definition is someone who immigrates to another country. So this is where where I get a bit, where I have an opinion on it is when people, especially here in Vietnam, are like, oh, why do they call them expats? Why are they not immigrants? Well, it's like, well, because they're not immigrants. They haven't immigrated to Vietnam. Mm -hmm. They're an expat, whether they're white or yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever race or color they are. Yeah. They're an expat. They've come here for a job for a mm -hmm. ill-defined period of time. They're not an immigrant. So I think some people, I have a big bugbear over the last year with people virtue signaling. And I, I, it's just become such a big problem. I think especially in Vietnam, people just love to virtue signal. It's, the first drop of a penny, they're like, yeah. I'm going to virtue signal and tell you why <laughs> I'm so virtuous. And so when I hear people yeah. say like, oh, it's a, it, it's a race thing. And it, I don't think that the definite, the why you labeled it as a race thing. I think it can be used yeah. a, in a negative term yeah. because of race. But in terms of the definitions of the word, that, that's my it's, kind of thinking on it. Yeah. Again, it, it's. You you know it's 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 the same with the identity crisis and like you know, labeling someone from just a country or oh, you're Scottish or you're it's something like that. It's like once you're settled with who you are, settled. for me it doesn't matter. Like you want to call yourself an expat or an immigrant, it doesn't matter for me. Like you know, it depends on how you use it. Like if if it's out of a little bit of like you know like ego or weakness and you're like no i'm an expat i'm not it doesn't matter at the end it's like how good do you feel about yourself it's like just use whatever you want yeah, yeah. so I'm, I'm 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 okay with any yeah <laughs> now final question yeah. uh, if vietnam was a person how would you describe them? I, I that's the I, I was thinking about it I, as soon as i saw it, i was like fuck how do you i i used to dis describe vietnam as as white noise but that's not a person. So the way I would yeah, definitely ADHD came to my mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Vietnam definitely has ADHD. Vietnam that is has absolutely ADHD. true. Okay. Yeah. And then and then also Vietnam. Maybe a meth addict then. Vietnam is also a country that I mean, it's generalizing, but the word gaslight came to my mind too like they, the way they talk in the in the culture is like very gaslighty sometimes it's like you know the my truth and like you know you're crazy and, and things like this but overall, overall vietnam as a person is a very nice person has <laughs> <laughs> hd adhd and gaslight no so i mean i don't speak the language but i think in terms of the gaslighting i've heard this of examples before um yeah. Would you would I be correct then in saying what you kind of mean though is like people can be very indirect here? Is that what you would mean by gaslighting? So they'll tell you one thing, mm -hmm. but they mean that I mean, something completely different. I, so if uh, yeah, that or they will they will enforce. I mean, like you know, like if you look at the definition of gaslighting and you and you talk to a, talk to anybody and about their family interaction, and I can see from my girlfriend's interactions with her grandma and things like this, it's like. Maybe because it's it's coming from that definition that I have a more snowflakey definition of gaslighting, but it's really it's sometimes it's like yo like if you had this in Canada, that's like pure out like gaslighting. It's like I obviously I don't have an example in my mind right now because like I'm. On the spot, <laughs> I was but, just about to say, give me an example. <laughs> but I I I'm like sometimes like you know they they like 
the way they the way they talk to each other or the way they enforce their truth and like you're yeah, like you're you're crazy or like you know like they the that fake pretense i mean that's the older generation but they pretend to know everything they right. I've met a lot of people that know everything yeah i know this i know that and there is no and then they enforce that truth or that knowledge onto their kids uh, yeah, yeah. very 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 uh, weird well, would this be a good example of gaslighting? You must have seen it, and I've seen this several times, where uh, girls especially are advertising for fake Western boyfriends to bring home to their family for tet. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen this before? Yeah, They'll literally pay a Western guy to come home with them to their hometown for tet and pretend that they're their boyfriend just to gaslight their family that they've got this, like... Or, Western boyfriend. Yeah, or it's a byproduct also. Like, I mean, of the gaslight, like, you know, it's generational trauma. It's like, <laughs> it's passed on. It was like, it's it's so wild. Like, I've, I've never heard of this, but I've, I've I, I can imagine it. Like, and I mean, it's a growing, again, it's a growing, growing. culture. It's a growing country. And it, it's a post-war mentality is all about the survival of the appearance and the honor. And like, my father was all about like, do whatever you want, but do not touch the image of the family or the honor of the family and it was like and so yeah it's it led to a lot of toxic behaviors but in general vietnam and it is really, something uh, that it is something i think is very different between western cultures and, and eastern cultures asian cultures i don't, it sounds a horrible thing to say but i don't think we have family honor not in my family like that's never <laughs> once been said like you're gonna uphold the family honor like yeah. you represent the family like i mean every family's different so maybe other families are like that yeah. but i don't know any of my friends i don't know anyone who yeah. was ever told like you have to uphold the family name it's just like <laughs> go do what you want go be your, I, you know what i mean there's not, nothing i i feel you man I, I, I in high school the first time that i've seen one of my white friend just fucking shouting to his parents like i don't care about you dad like anyway i want you to die so i can get like your heritage and shit like this so i was like you can talk to your parents like this what the fuck like oh my lord it's like if i like even if my tone went that up and i would be just like hey dad i would just die on the spot like i would just like and so for me it was just like culture shock Oh, you can talk like this. It's like, or like, like uh, this mother getting remarried, and like the, my friend is talking to his stepdad, and I was like, "You're not my dad anyway. Fuck off!" Like you know, in his room, and like, and we're fourteen, and I'm like, "Oh Lord!" Like you know, like hey, <laughs> <laughs> you don't do this in Vietnam. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think ever. I don't think ever. Well, 280, yeah. thank you so much. It's been amazing to talk to you. Before you go, just tell quickly, tell people quickly about your coach Sultan business. <laughs> How can they find you? Where can they follow you on Instagram? And tell us just quickly, where can they listen to Creators in Vietnam podcast? So I'll talk about the podcast first because that's the most important. I really want people to, to you know, get into podcasting in Vietnam and, and, and listen to us. So Creators in Vietnam, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, but obviously Anchor. And all the platform actually Spotify, Apple Podcasts. So creators in Vietnam, like you said, creators in Vietnam. We're trying to release one episode every week. So if you know anybody that you know is a good fit and and would like to is creating a positive impact here in Vietnam, then I would love to have them on the podcast. If you want a good taste of the podcast, then listen to Neil's episode. <laughs> that's a that's a very good example of what we're doing with the podcast. For the coach coaching, what I do is I coach people in life operating systems. So I teach them 
through an app called Notion how to install the proper life systems. So like habit tracking and task management and all those things. So it's a very comprehensive system. And then for the consulting, I do business consulting for small to medium-sized business. And it's all about operations and process. Overall, I'm just a fun guy to hang out with. So if you, uh, I'm this year is more me trying to get out of my rehab period and and connect with more people. So if you're listening to this and you want to talk to me, just you know reach out and I'll be more than happy to just start meeting people again. Awesome! And we're gonna get you up on stage soon yes. for uh, comedy because you've said that you want to do stand. You said you've done it before, right? You did no, an open it, mic it, before. It, it, when I was in ESL school, it was like my 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 final challenge. I was like, I'm gonna go and do a stand up comedy in English, so it will mean that my English is good. And yeah. and then I was so insecure about myself that I've never done it. But I think, I think I lost Funny Twacy through the addiction. But I think it's there somewhere. So I want to reignite that something we'll see awesome yeah, yeah well we're gonna look out for it soon and just remember as well your english is better than mine and it's not even your first language <laughs> thank so you you can definitely do stand-up comedy no thank problem you. thank you joacy amazing talking to you thank you so much for coming on and i will see you soon yeah see you soon neil thank you so much thank you you're very welcome cheers thanks for listening to this episode of a vietnam podcast by seven million bites We hope you enjoy hearing our guest stories. If you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe to the show and turn on notifications so you never miss a new episode. Thank you so much to Lewis Wright, who made the 7 Million Bikes music and continues to support us in every way. Also to our audio engineer, Luke Digweed, for making sure each episode sounds amazing for you. Also, a big thanks to the 7 Million Bikes community. Thank you so much. It's amazing to get to know you guys. It's amazing to see how much we're growing. And I look forward to seeing you at our next event. You can join the community today. The link is in the description of the show. You'll get free tickets to 7 Million Bikes events, episodes before anyone else, and extra special bonus content only for you, and invites to special member-only events. You will also obviously be providing massive support so that we can keep sharing people's stories with you on a Vietnam podcast. Also, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And remember, we have seven seasons of stories to share with you. So check them out if you haven't already, and we hope you can listen to future episodes too so you can laugh, connect, and discover. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're like me, you may use your laptop at places where you have to use public Wi-Fi. This opens you up to digital snoopers. It's a massive problem. It can be your internet service provider, or you know who, looking at what you do online, or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info, or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data. These days, it is vital that you keep your data safe. NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away. It makes your internet activity private, protects you from accessing dangerous websites that are fishing for your data, and lets you enjoy your favorite content securely, even while away from home. And it's easy to use, 
even I could use it. I've actually been using NordVPN for years now here in Vietnam and I'm excited to be an affiliate partner with them. I've used NordVPN to watch Netflix, BBC, Disney Plus with ease and I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link nordvpn.com forward slash smb. Just again for those hard of hearing nordvpn.com forward slash smb. The link is also in the show notes. I know nobody checks them out but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast. As an affiliate partner it also means that I will get a small commission when you sign up but at no extra cost to you. So not only will you be getting a great deal through 7 Million Bikes you get a great VPN and you'll be supporting 7 Million Bikes podcast. Stay safe online and enjoy the shows you love. Any questions, just let me know. You know how to get in touch with me. And thanks for listening to this show. Cheers.